Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Back Porch Stories with Chuck Stead. What was the name of this one this week, Chuck? This one's called Watching. Watching. Okay, all right, that sounds interesting. We hope that you're enjoying these, and we hope that you're sharing them, because that's what stories are all about, passing them down to the next generation, and maybe maybe getting inspired to, to tell some of your own stories, which are just as important and just as... Uh, just as fulfilling and rewarding as these. I'm certain of that. So let's enjoy this story and let's keep telling stories. So without any further ado, let me turn this over to Chuck Stead. Thank you, Joe. We were just talking a little bit about Scotty. I know we were going to say this later, but uh, yeah. Scotty's been a part of our, our podcast for a while now and, and he's he's home. He's not feeling too good. He got COVID. And we miss him. So, Scotty, yeah. when you hear this one, you bring to this to this experience a perspective that neither Joe or I have. I think. I think that's you, true. You, you do. You have a an interesting perspective. What were you just saying about him a minute ago? Well, he's Scott. of another generation. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And and Scott has a unique sensitivity. Uh, maybe it's because he's a musician. Uh, maybe it's because he's a teacher. But I miss him. Yeah. I, we miss him. He's as much a part of this as any of the, us. And he really adds a significant flavor to these conversations and a significant and important feeling to these conversations. And I know we time marches on and you have to create the podcast and you have to fulfill the schedule and all this other stuff. But Scott, please get better. I hope you feel better. <laughs> I'm so sorry that you're going through you know, your COVID moment. I, we all have. I've had it. I don't know, Chuck, if, if you've had it yet fully or not, but I've seen it smack people around and knock them down, even when they're all vaccinated, as I know Scott is. But this is a tough reckoning that we have with yeah. this new novel virus, and uh, we're going to get through it. We're figuring out a way to live with it. We have to live with it. But we we miss people when they when they uh, they get out of the mainstream for a little while, when they're knocked down by this thing. It's it's the nature of it, I guess, right? It really yeah. does knock you down. Some can be something as quick as three or four days, or it can be two or three weeks. Yeah, you know? Scott's now had it for more than two weeks. Yeah, he's had, yeah. I think, fifteen days. So next week, Scotty, when we uh, the one that we drop for next week, you're going to be here. Absolutely, yeah. you bet. Okay, watching the back room downstairs in the house on First Street, the one with the water closet built for the grandparents, was for Walt Stead like everything else in the village filled with haunting. Despite his claim to no memory, a declaration that fired his brother Malcolm with tar nation, Walt's silence was filled with recorded dialogues, faded but not forgotten. With the passing of his parents, he and Tessie moved back into that room. It had been their bedroom now for a while. In a particular Saturday morning, he piled the dining room furniture against the east wall and managed to set up the portable papering table in the space left behind. He then methodically laid out his wallpapering kit, tools, bucket, paste, paste beater, and after some 40 minutes of self-inventory, he went into the bedroom with a yardstick and a pencil. Tessie had cleared out the house. She'd taken two of my sisters with her to go shopping, and Joan, my oldest sister, she was out riding horseback somewhere. And I, the youngest in the brood, I was playing on the living room floor with my empty medicine containers. Tessie, who had taken a job at Ledley Pharmaceutical, brought hundreds of empty plastic bottles, three inches high, all figurines of hard hat workers. They were brown, 
pressed figures wearing overalls, and they appeared to have an open-end box wrench in their hands. Their work helmets were bright yellow caps that threaded on. As they descended the conveyor belt at work, these energy serum samplers reminded Tessie of toy soldiers. Her job was to pull any fallen ones out of the line, and of course she would drop a few in her pocket. And I now owned a few hundred of these. I dumped them out of a bucket onto the living room rag rug and divided the little workers up into separate armies. The room then became a prehistoric wilderness with all manner of hidden dangers. Troops of yellow-capped hard-hat workers crossing the couch cushions were trapped in an earthquake. A lair of mop-head snakes waited for another army, and still other figurines, the little serum samplers that they were, had to explore the ancient ruins of encyclopedias piled on one another. Into the early afternoon, Walt continued to paper the tiny bathroom exterior. The plan was to decorate the 5x5x8 edition so that it no longer appeared to be a crate in the corner of the room with a door on it. By one thirty, he had finished most of it. He sat on the bed. He stared at his work. It was no use. His efforts had resulted in producing a papered crate with a door on it. Perhaps he should have used a pattern complementary to the rest of the room. The room was a lazy swimming yellow flower design. The water closet was now vertical bamboo. He stared at the straight whiteness of the bamboo. He dug out his pipe, packed a bowl. This was a work pipe, a cheap drugstore Dr. Grabow Briar knockoff. The best kind, he actually said. Walt stuffed it with Dill's best sour tobacco. He packed it with his pinky finger. He lit the pipe, puffed a few times, and stared at the bamboo-papered water closet. To the right of the bathroom door, he looked out the only window in the house that had a pull handle on it, and he saw himself standing in the backyard, a strapping boy staring up into the sun 38 years earlier. He heard the sound of me walking around in the house, slaughtering helpless serum samplers with Jurassic lace doilies, and he called to me, and then he called again, Come here. I walked partway through the house. I leaned heavily against the big double bed in the room. He took his Dr. Grabow from his teeth, and he told me a story, one he would tell me again years later in much the same way. A funny thing happened one time. Your great-grandma Eliza, uh, when she took sick, she stayed right here in this room. She sat up in bed, looked at magazines, Right here, in this room. I liked her, sweet old bird. Anyway, I was out there in the backyard. I was looking up at some bird gliding along in the sky. Crow, raven, hawk, I don't know. It looked like a blackbird to me. I couldn't tell because it passed over the sun and I got the sun in my eyes. Anyway, she calls me. Woodsy, she calls me. That's how I come by that name. She gave it to me. And... I come in the house, and she asks me what I'm planning on doing. I tell her I plan on going to a ball game. She asks me if I'm playing in the ball game. Well, I wasn't. I was just planning on watching the game. So I tell her that. She says, okay, but I got to get her a drink of water first. Well, sir, I got her the water. See, in those days, we had to get our water from a pump in the front of the house. So I get her the water, and I leave it right there for her. And she says, Okay, Woodsy, you go do your watching. Do your watching. And I go. 
The game was in Suffering, down where Kuklo Field is now. I walk clear out there, oh, about a mile. I sit up on the stands, you know, big board thing, and I watch the game. I remember it was at the top of the fifth inning because a fella, he got a base hit, and there was an out, and then a double puts the winning run on third. And I remember this. Next guy burns a grounder, just past the pitcher. Man on third gets home. Well, now we got a game going. Man in a stiff white collar sitting in front of me tells his lady friend the time. He says to her, two o'clock. He says that. He just says, two o'clock. I looked down when he said it, and when I looked back up, I could not see a damn thing clear. My eyes had gone all fuzzy. The whole game was blurred. I, I heard a hit, but couldn't see what happened to it. I was most blind. I got myself down off the stands. I bumped into folks. They said, hey, watch out. Somehow, I got along the river to get home. I figured I had to get home. I remember trying to focus on my feet, and, and they looked soft and fuzzy to me, like they weren't really part of me. But I got back to Hilburn because as I got closer, I could see again, just like that. So I started running, and I run the west of the way to the house. And when I got there, well, there were people. They were all standing around, serious. And my mother tells me that, well, she says Grandma Liza died. And she says the time of death was 2 o'clock. Walt stopped talking. He tried to light the pipe, but it had gone cold. He got up and knocked out the bowl into the toilet. As he repacked the pipe, he, he figured that it being two o'clock that she died, he told me his grandmother had visited him. That's what he believed. And then he, he told me that he, he didn't care much about ghosts. He didn't like that word. And then he went back to work. When Tessie returned, she found the living room dismantled amid a sea of serum sampler carnage. Walt trimming out the finishing touch on the bamboo papered water closet. And I, I was coloring with Crayolas at the kitchen table, yellow for the sun and black for the bird. Wow, that's a fascinating story. Wow, he had a moment there, huh? He told me that story again years later when we were working together in a house in Slotesburg. Yeah. And told it exactly the same way. Yeah. It, it, so it happened. Yeah. yeah it yeah. happened. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I mean, there's so much that's unknowable, really, about life and death. So much. And, and the more I go to doctors as I get older now and everything, the more I realize how how little they know or the less the less they seem to know they're like mechanics they know some of yeah, the parts <laughs> yeah right right and so those doctors out there you do great work but uh, on the parts <laughs> but i think you probably agree you don't you're you're learning how 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 little you 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 still know because there's still so much to figure out so much to find out but when it comes to death it is it's it is the true truly unknowable thing in our lives we simply do not know what happens after and where things go. And, you know, we know that there's a consciousness in each one of us and that it seems to reach far and beyond things that are physical, like our brains and our bodies and everything else, but we just don't know. The one thing that I've come to believe over the years is, uh, you know, having lost my sister Rosie, which you know very well, she was very close to you, Chuck, 
and my dad, my mom, my sister Ellen, is there is absolutely a part of them that exists and lives in me and in other people that I know who, who were a part of their lives. And I think to me, that's the eternal part of us that really does live on in other people. When I'm confronted by challenge or whatever I do, I hear, I hear what my mom would have said and what my father would have said. Sometimes I hear them laughing at me, <laughs> you know, for, for, for how I get about things. And, and I just, I feel like, I don't know how, I don't know how it works, but there's a part of them, you know, that, that's still with me. Rosie, walking down a street, and she, uh, she, you know, I remember walking down a street in Nyack with her, and, and everybody was smiling at her, smiling, smiling, you know. It kind of, they kind of tip their heads and things like that. And finally, you know, I'm talking away, and, and I, but I keep noticing this, and and I'm like, okay, what, what's going on here? What, what are you, the mayor of Nyack? What's going, <laughs> everybody knows you here. What's going on? Everybody's smiling at you and tipping their tats and things like that. And, and she said, well, I think it helps that I smile at them first. It just hit me, you know, that that was Rosie, yeah, and that's yeah. that. Yeah. That kind of essence, I feel that from her again and again and again through life. Yeah. The importance of smiling at someone first. The importance of while you're busy in your crowded, sunlit life amidst all of life's confusions, to remember that there are these other human beings around you that have the same foibles and sufferings and happiness and joy and if you just kind of connect to them with a smile, you know, maybe. So, you know, she's she's there all the time. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. That kind of thing. She, uh, Rosie, there was, and there still is in my mind, a, a remarkable kind of sensibility, a sort of effervescent sensibility when you're in her presence. It just glommed onto you. You, you couldn't stay in a bad mood when you were in her presence. I remember, this is a little anecdote, uh, Johnny and Warren Kohlberger and I were sitting over at your, your house uh, by that little creek down there. And I'm not going into details, but we were carping. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Warren was particularly aggravated about something, and, and Johnny and I were agreeing with him. You know, we were all, rah, 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 and we're carping. And Rosie comes walking along, and... She's listening. She's not saying anything. She's smiling, you know, and she's listening. And we're carping about this, you know, and we're adolescents and, you know, this world sucks and these things are wrong and so forth. And, you know, finally we come up for air and Rosie just says, yeah, but it's still good. <laughs> and then she just walks off. Good point, Rosie. And, and, and we're like. Well, yeah, I guess. Good to be alive. <laughs> How did it's that happen there? Why, why didn't she carp with it? Because she she just didn't, you know. No, she no. she was she was just that's who she was. Yeah, she always always embraced the the possibilities in life and the, and the positive sides of life. Sometimes even to her own detriment, I have to be more careful of some of the things that that are uh, hurting you in your life. But she was no, she was very. Very positive. I, I, you know, at the very last moments of her life, of course, I was with her at the hospital there in Nyack, and uh, and she said, you know, in those very last moments, somebody please get me a piece of paper 
and a pencil. And my wife Karen was there and all her sisters were there. And they literally just spread out and ran through the halls of the hospital looking, asking nurses for paper and pencil. She wanted to write a... She wanted to write to her daughter, uh, Mariel, and her daughter, Megan, and just say some final words to them that she thought was important. And um, she started to write almost feverishly for a moment. And then she put the pencil down, and she looked at me, and she smiled. And she said, you've got this, right? And I said, yeah. Yeah, I do. I got it. Mm. She said, Okay. She just handed the paper to me, and uh, and I, I knew what she was saying. Mm. You know, I don't have to write anything else. I'm still, you've got it. You've mm. got that part of me. You'll carry it with you. You'll share it with them, right? This is something that all you Serenos kind of share. You find the good in people. Yeah, your family does that. I, I, of course, you know, Peg and Joe, you know, they, they yeah. set down the tracks, and you guys have followed them well, and, and Rosie better than anyone. You know, you all do that. Yeah. She was something, boy. But she's here with sure. me right now. Sure, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was there yesterday. I got a chance to go and see her beautiful little grandchild. She never got a chance to see her wow. in person, you know, here. But but I think that part and, of her and, and, and me. And the name of her grandchild is? Ever Rose. Ever Rose. Ever Rose. And she's what a great a, name. Oh, what a beautiful little girl. Yeah, just terrific. But that I think that your dad... I think she did. I think she called to him. She mm-hmm. said, farewell. Come home. Be with be with my people. Yeah. Come back here. They need you now. Yeah. 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 I think that happened. And it's so interesting because he was not a, uh, even as a boy, he was not a believer in things no. spooky. You know, yeah. he just, that wasn't real, but this was. And he recounted it as, and this is real. And yeah. this happens. Yeah. And the whole idea of the of the gentleman and the storage white collar is saying two o'clock, right? Just like that. It all we're connected. We are. Yep. Somehow at the subatomic level. Someday I suppose we'll figure this out. It's quantum physics. Yeah, really. <laughs> Someday we'll, it'll all. You know, we'll say, "I'll be damned." We really are connected, but uh, it's something. It's really. Uh, I think it's what keeps us going in some of these crazier times that we live through, uh, and have lived through. But your dad was definitely somebody who would not, he wasn't a conjurer of tales like that. He, if, right. If he said it, it happened. Yeah, that's why it's powerful. The second time when, we were, when I was older and he told me, I had been talking to him about some afterlife experience that an author had that I had read about, and I mentioned it to him. Mm-hmm. And he didn't say anything for about 40 minutes. We were in Salzburg working on a house. And after about 40 minutes, apparently he'd been thinking about it. And he said, well, here's a funny thing that happened. And he told the exact same story. Yeah. And it was probably a good 20 years later. Yeah. 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 And that's something. I, I love the way you describe it, too. They looked down at his feet. He was trying to pay attention to his feet. And they, or he described it. Uh, yeah. you know, And they got fuzzy, you know. And like he was almost pulled into the other realm for yeah. a moment. You yeah, know? yeah, Not yeah. really here on the earth, but there. And, and when you're there, things guided. here aren't quite as in focus as you want yeah. them to be because you're not as mortal as you just were a second ago or yeah. something like that. And he followed the river. Yeah, you yeah. Know, which is such a metaphor for the path, you mm-hmm. know, uh, through life and yep. everything. Yep. Yeah. Tell you something, Mr. Stead. 
It's a gift. It's a gift you've got there. <laughs> really, really is. Thank you. It's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. It sure does. Well, are we good on this one? Yeah, this I is think good. so. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, I think we've given the listeners something to think about. Yeah, <laughs> chew on out a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's always to me. You know, whenever I've seen either a movie or or a TV show or read a book. That's the that is the identifying factor of is this really great art, really good work? When I put it down or turn it off or walk out of the theater, I just can't get it out of my mind. Mm -hmm. It just keeps circling around, Mm -hmm. and this is one of those stories that I think you know people people will think about that way. Thank you. That's I like it that it's short. Yeah, because it gets me out of the way. It's mostly just what's being said. Yeah. Yeah. Very special. Well, thank you, Chuck. Thank you, Joe. I'm looking forward to next week. Next week, we don't know exactly. Do we know what we're going to do next week yet? I don't know yet. We're we're getting we're getting uh, Scotty back, and and I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I'll do something to try to tag on to him. Something that he would jump onto, maybe. Yeah, or yeah. Something like that. And yeah. we, let's remind everybody that the music that they hear at the beginning mm-hmm. of this uh, of our podcast and, and at, at the, the end, end yeah. Uh, and that little bit, that little sting right at the end of the story and, and uh, that you hear, that's all uh, Scotty uh, wrote that. Scott Lewis. Yes, Scott Lewis wrote that music, and that's, uh, that's just part of his art and part of what he's, uh, he's giving to the students at the school where he teaches. Uh, we're very lucky, yep. very fortunate to have Scott. And Scott, come on back. Yeah, we miss you, Scott. We sure do. All right, folks. See you next week. And and when you come back, we're going to make you read a very long narrative for one of the commercials. I love it. (laughs) All right. Let's do that. (laughs) And now for a word from our favorite sponsor, the Montgomery Book Exchange. It's your hometown used bookstore located at 61A Clinton Street in the heart of the Montgomery, New York Business District. Folks, you're going to love the book exchange. This is a place where great books survive the test of time, where you can enjoy a book read by readers a generation before you. You might even find notes in the margins giving you an insight as to what mattered most to that previous reader. That's how the Montgomery Book Exchange turns a great book into a shared experience. And the Montgomery Book Exchange is known throughout the Hudson Valley and beyond for innovations like their $20 for $20 book stacks or their intimate author readings and signing experiences. How about their member-driven book club selections and book club talks, their monthly Zoom and in-person book auctions, and Handmade Montgomery. This is a wonderful event featuring local artisans and hundreds of beautiful handmade crafts and keepsakes. And how about getting store credits in the form of book bucks? Bring your well-loved or gently used books in for a store credit. Now, it's closed on Mondays, but it's open Tuesdays through Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and on Sunday from 12 noon to 4 p.m. Want more information? Just go to MontgomeryBookExchange.com or call them at 845-764-1787. That's 845-764-1787. Now, there's one more thing. They even have a special location at 8 Factory Street dedicated to your young readers. They call it the Children's Chapter, and it features a reading garden where your children can discover the joy of reading in a wonderful and stimulating learning environment. Now, my kids are all 30-something now, but I have four beautiful grandchildren, Jimmy, Sienna, Stella, and JJ, and I'm bringing all four of them down to the Children's Chapter. 
Also at this location, you'll find Miss Claire's Music Cupboard, featuring the award-winning research-based Kinder Music Program. The children's chapter is open Wednesdays through Saturdays. Check the website for specific class times that match your child's age. You can contact the children's chapter at 845-522-9652. MontgomeryBookExchange.com, your hometown used bookstore. You're going to love this place. been listening to Backport Stories with Chuck Stead. The song that you hear at the beginning and the end of the episode is Flyer's Rag, composed by Mr. Scott Lewis. Our producer is Joe Serino, and our cover photography is done by Karen Serino. We'll be back with another episode each Friday morning, so please subscribe, click the like button, share with family and friends, and join us each week for another Backport Story.